Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Yes, Joanna Fortune joins us as ever at this time on a Wednesday to ask your parent questions. Joanna, there there you are. How are you? Here I am. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> as we were saying, I thought you'd be uh, wall-to-wall and teen disco questions. I know, but that's not what's come in today. I but I think, and there is, it's big teen disco business, as yeah. we're saying. You and know, there, hasn't there hasn't been teen discos. For two years. So it's great. It's exciting for the teenagers. And it's, you know, exciting and maybe a little trepidation for the parents who are supporting them on that. So, yeah, I thought there'd be loads of teen disco questions but yeah. no which is great everybody's thought, handling honest, it brilliantly I thought there would be questions from dads <laughs> who've dropped their daughters to the disco That I sounds think like it. a projection Tom Absolutely yeah. of course <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those moments in a dad's yeah. life when, when this little flower gets out of the car and he sees her walking off and he has to come to terms with the fact that you know she's, <laughs> she's going on to a here. different world <laughs> It is but you know I think as parents as well we have to trust the job that we've done to get them to this stage and our children are well able to handle themselves in these social situations at least for the most part and we have to just yeah. let them go let do them you know do it the and other have side these of that realisation is what's your job now? Well they there you still go. need you You've I, had that job for 15 years yeah, and now But you know it's a different kind of parenting need isn't it at this stage of that because 15 we're talking about mid-adolescence you know and it's not that they don't need us but how they need us and moreover how they're going to utilise us actually does change and I often think you know Tom and it comes up with teenage questions when they come in that sometimes the mismatch is that our parenting has not grown up in line with their growth and development so when it comes to this stage of adolescence it's often parents who are thinking you know what I need to grow my parenting up in line with with where my teenager's at because some of the strategies that work really well for us in the early years actually don't apply here. So it's not that your teenager is being belligerent, well, at least not always and not only, but actually maybe it's the wrong strategy for parenting teenagers. God, I'm telling you. Um, Stay back and we'll do a Facebook hour at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Additional bonus at no extra cost to the listeners, a bonus for all teenage questions. Um, Let's get into this. Um, So questions for you. My two-year-old is very anxious. I need some advice about my two and a half year old son who has become very anxious around other kids. He has had some bad experiences with one friend smaller than him about two years of age who always tries to take the toys from his hands or makes high-pitched noises that my son finds very stressful. I try to explain and show how to hold tight the toys he is playing with and if the other boy boy makes strange noises to just cover his ears. He understands but he can't cope on that, at that moment and now he is afraid of other kids and even the playground he is avoiding. Mm-hmm. I suggested to the other boy's mother to give attention to my son when he's being left with their toys. She considers this a kind of punishment for her son um, which in my opinion it is not. It rather comforting a child who suffers and not giving attention to bad behaviour in regards to her kid. I think my son also has some noise sensitivity. He's always on alert and annoyed by high volume sounds or unknown noises. What can I do to help in this particular moment where my son is being left without a toy and the future as he appears terrified and wants to escape? I'm sure avoidance is not the answer, but I also don't want to push his limits and force him when he's not ready to tolerate the situation. I mean, there's a lot of stress in this letter. A lot of stress. And it's not just the two and two and a half year olds. And, you know, and I fully appreciate th- this parent's concerns and can hear how worried they are and really bothered about this. So, you know, what I'm 
about to say, I hope it doesn't sound dismissive, but more about applying the context of development to this very young age of children, but also putting out there that sometimes when this happens, feeling upset, seeing our children upset is really natural. Of course it is. Of course, it's very upsetting to see your own child upset. But sometimes that's where the the problem lies. And the answer is that we have to manage the upset of an upset child rather than looking at because this is a lot to put on to who are very small, very young children here. Because, you know, at this age, grabbing a toy, snatching a toy out of another child's hand, you know, whatever it might be, it can actually be more of an expression of interest in the other Mm. child. Oh, I see you doing something interesting with that toy. Here, give it to me. And they snatch it impulsively. And so it's an exp- a clumsy expression of interest. It's a way of interacting with other children. And generally, even toddlers can work this out themselves. And we've seen this, at, you know, one child grabs from another. The other's like, oi, pushes the first one, grabs the toy back. And you know what? They've worked that out mm. between them. And they don't need us grown up stepping in unless now the push and the show of escalates, of course. And there is a point where we step in. But generally speaking, children work this out for themselves, even at this young age. And even at this young age, our children are, and it can surprise us, but they're capable of what we'd call relational aggression. You know, this kind of, you're not my friend. I'm not your friend anymore. It starts really young. And that's an expression of relational aggression. It doesn't mean it's bullying. It doesn't mean it's harassment. It's way children work out about I'm feeling cross and the way I'm going to let you know is by pushing you away verbally, sometimes physically, sometimes both. And that happens and is going to happen. I'm only putting that out there because this child is two and a half. But this parent Mm. is going to experience cycles of this over the course of your child's growth, even from this young age. And just to think a little bit about how very, very young children play, you know, and we've talked here before about the sensory stage of play and it starts at this age right up to three and a half. But in terms of other ways they play, babies up to two year olds. Okay, now look, don't take this too prescriptive. If your child is two and a half and playing at this level, that's fine too. But they go through phases of unoccupied play where it's actually their surroundings, you know, light, shadows, noise, other people's movements are interesting to them, but they're not playing with anybody. And then they do a a phase of solitary play, which is about, you know, they might reach out or interact for objects, but it's the object more than the person that interests them. And we can see toy snatching in some of that as well. Then you get onlooker play where they're observing other children playing, but they're not joining in or seeking to join in with them. And then from kind of two up to five years old, you see parallel play where they might play at the same time as others, but not directly with them or associative play where they're playing next to other kids. And you see some interaction, but it takes until kind of primary school, junior infant age, around that four Mm. or five years old for cooperative play to come in, you know, where there's a relational um, aspect to the play. There's interest in other children and and of course, evidence of cooperation, give and take. So at two and two and a half years old, what you're describing isn't unusual. I don't say that to say, therefore, Mm. your child is fine. Don't be worried about it. He does sound distressed. And you do say that you think your son has some noise sensitivity and that has him in an alert you know, anticipatory um, kind of stage about noises. I would like you to get that checked out. He's two and a half. He's probably fallen, you know, during COVID with the developmental checks of toddlers have fallen behind because it wasn't possible to see everyone. So certainly reach out to your public health nurse and have flag that you have a concern so that he is checked for that. But I do think at this stage, you know, they see what they want. They take it. They haven't got the capacity 
to consider how that action impacted on the other child. That's not even on their radar. I wouldn't expect it to be. Of course, you can come down to their level and say, oh, you know, Tom has the toy and you want the toy, but Tom isn't done with the toy yet. So we have to wait. Now, let's see. And you redirect to something else. So you can provide a narration that explains what's going on. But your best tool at this age is redirection and distraction. Okay. Um, One of our listeners says, I like that. The next time I snatch the remote out of my husband's hands, I'm going to say it's just an expression of interest in him as a person. Absolutely it is. And he will take that. But just remember, you really should be at the stage of cooperative play at that age. (laughs) (laughs) So it might be too late for that. Um, Right. And get the noise sensitivity thing checked out as well. So uh, another young young man in in the world with a few issues, a few bits of trouble for you. My son and his best friend around your seven in the same class in school they spend a lot of time together uh, and fight they make up quickly all perfectly normal but recently his friend has started saying mean things to him his friend is very smart and a very good reader I have no worries about my son in school by the way he's doing great but he's made a few comments such as I can do my homework but Mike will definitely need help can Mike actually read his books can you read a word like wonderful or I'm not going to help you spell any of your words today. Um, there just seems to be a nasty tone and a real put down in his comments. Thankfully, it goes completely over my son's head. He doesn't realise his friend is being a bit mean. I don't want it to become an issue. I'm unsure how to bring it up with the boys if it continues to happen. Oh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it's not impacting your son as yet. But the concern is it might. And I think at this age of seven, because this parent, you know, you're dead right. Like they're, it's all perfectly normal to some extent. Um, but sometimes when you're this age and you have an icky, uncomfortable feeling or a need yourself, it's very hard to articulate it. And one of the best ways to get rid of those feelings is to put them onto somebody else. And I'm wondering if this child maybe is seeking validation for himself, you know, in saying, I bet Mike can't do it when what he is seeking to hear is, aren't you great? Didn't you do a wonderful job? And maybe isn't getting enough of that or as much as he needs. And I wonder is that sometimes I think responding to negative behaviour in a paradoxical way, it's almost unexpected that you go, you are so smart. You are so clever. And I really admire smart and kind. It's really important to be kind and you can get that in there. But I wonder if responding by validating this child would actually stop the comments. I'm only putting that out there again. It's not about condoning it or saying it's OK, but it's about being curious as to these are two little boys who are clearly otherwise friends. Yeah. What's driving this? God, I think I, you'd be doing great now if you're able to control your emotions that well to say nice things like that. I, aren't you like, the clever little lad? I'd be saying yeah, to him and stuff the tone like is that. everything. Oh, I'd be giving yeah. him loads of tone. Don't worry. <laughs> I can see your face. You see the yeah. listeners can, but I'm like, tone is everything, you know, when you yeah. say this. And I think just think of it from a seven-year-old's point of view. Like their world is small. Their world is egocentric. It is largely about me and how I'm thinking and feeling. So and it's what, no difference. You know, there's a lot of that going on. But I'm also curious in this letter as to how the parent knows this is happening. You know, is it happening? Because it's all talk about school, spelling, reading and homework. You know, is it happening in school or is it said on the way home from school in front Mm. of the parent or do these boys attend like an after school together? I'm just I'm I'm a little bit confused about where it's happening or is it pervasive? Um, You know, so I'm wondering, you know, who, who, to whom these comments are said to? Do you know, like, yeah. who is this little boy saying this to? Because it's said about Mike. That mm. means I'm inferring it's not to Mike, but in front of him, maybe. So I think ideally focus on your own son, knowing his own skill, his own worth, praise, effort yeah. over outcome, invest in kindness. And so that your son is like, yeah, I can. I can spell wonderful. And it doesn't phase and him And I don't as know much. why he's talking like that. Exactly. So that you yeah. actually invest in esteem building yeah. um, and resourcing your own son 
you know, to handle that, you know, because it's at the moment it's at a level where that is the right response. It hasn't escalated. So let's try short circuit it. OK, and uh, we had a two and a half year old who is anxious. We're going even younger now. The one year old. Um, I'm looking for advice, but my one year old son who is just starting crash. He's a shy little guy who hasn't had a huge amount of exposure to many people due to COVID. He's been very sheltered over the last year. He's just spent a lot of time with his mum, his dad and his granny. He started going into a crash for the past three weeks just for 20 minutes to an hour twice a day. He will cry going out of my arms, hit them, then settles a bit and will play for a little uh, while that when he goes in. But as soon as the kids get loud or things start to get a bit busy, like at mealtimes, he just screams, crying and will not stop until I collect him. The crash have been just doing 20 minutes to an hour for the past few weeks as they feel um, that's all he's able to due to the level mm-hmm. of crying and how distressed he gets. So I have just been waiting outside for the call. They do let him cry a little bit, uh, but then they give me a call and he gets extremely distressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been going to the crash twice a day for the past few weeks to build up his familiarity, but it doesn't seem to be improving. And I'm at a loss what to do given uh, that I'm going back to work next week. I also cannot go into the room with him due to COVID. This also makes it much more tricky. Any advice would be appreciated as I honestly don't think I can keep doing this to him, but I don't know what else to do with and quit my job which is tempting due to the enormous guilt that oh, I feel. Oh my goodness. There's a lot of stress there. I can totally feel that as you're reading that out loud because that's just so difficult because the transition back to work is difficult to begin with. Handing your child over to someone else to care for them when you're not there is really difficult anyway. Even when the handover goes well that's difficult. Mm. But adding into this and I'm just picturing this, this parent sitting out in the car waiting for a call to say your child's extremely distressed. I mean those are words no parent wants to hear. And I th- and I know no childcare provider wants to be the one making that call either. So this is difficult all round. It just sounds so, so hard. And, you know, I do think as well for young children whose world has been very small, very sheltered, it is especially hard to make a transition like this. Um, I do think in general, I'm going to give you some in general stuff and then we'll drill into the I'm going to say it and I acknowledge it's difficult to do, but try going to parks, playgrounds at busy times. In other words, after school, you know, when the flurry of kids might Mm. go to the park or the playground after school, let him potter, let him explore with other kids and he'll hear the other kids, he'll hear noise and he'll build up greater tolerance for that, you know, because in general, you could be doing that as a support to the transition. Speak with the creche as well about what they suggest, as there's no way he is the first child to struggle with settling in. Now, his struggle might be pronounced, but they are well used to transitioning children in who, you know, aren't saying high five, mom, dad, see you later and in off they pop. So talk to them about it, what they suggest um, and what they have seen work in the past because they are experts in this area as well. And look, some kids really do adjust easily and by easily, it could still take, you know, a few days of and the point of separation can be really difficult. You know, that saying goodbye and the pulling out of your arms and then largely the feedback is to parents, Oh, they settle ground once you Absolutely. left. And that that's does generally tend to be true. it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so, but for some kids, it can take many weeks. It can take four to six weeks. And they're three weeks in. So I don't want to say, you know, keep going because it will get okay. better. I hope it will. But I, I guess I don't. I can't assert that with certainty. I'm wondering in terms of how you can support it. And again, I stand to be corrected by any childcare providers because maybe COVID has changed some of this. But can he bring something familiar from home? You know, like a, a little stuffy and and a stuffy that mom can sleep with it, it close to her body for a few days. So it kind of smells in a comforting way. Have a goodbye ritual. It could be a particular song you play in the car or sequence of songs. So you're cueing him. 
we're going, we're okay. going, you know, just a little ritual and then do a little um, goodbye to his face, you know, a kiss on his forehead, his chin, each cheek, his nose and his mouth. And you do it in the same way because all of that is cueing him. You're going to say goodbye You're go- before you do. And I wonder if a familiar face, if one, I, I think that's very hard in a crush, maybe it, there's two people that take turns coming to meet him. So he's going to the same person. Mostly, okay. you know, so yeah. from one familiar person to another familiar person um, and knowing that he finds those transitions of food and when everybody's getting busy and noisy, is there a way that the crush could occupy, distract, take him out of the room at that noisy bit and then ease him back in? Okay. I'm only putting that out there. He may need a longer lead in time um, because it's still only at 20 minutes a day that he, and he's struggling um, and just exploring what other options you have, because sometimes it might be the large space, the large large number of children and he might do better in a small small, and I don't say that lightly Tom because I know firsthand and fully how hard it is to source childcare Um, but if it is an option to look at maybe a setting where a home-based carer where there might be four or five children sure you know or somebody who could come to your home a few options like that and I don't say that thinking there's a quick fix when you're going back to work next week okay Um, And I just really want this mom to be really kind to herself because this transition is really, really difficult. So let people around you know that you're having a tough time with this so that they can also support you and be mindful of what you need during this time. It is hard. And that that is that is a particularly hard one. And we'll have a quick break and more of your parenting questions with Joanna after this. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. You're very welcome back. Tom, I'm with you for Sean today. 5216 is the text number. And if you have parenting questions for Joanna, send them into us now. Afternoon at Newstalk.com is the email address. Whatever is going on in the world with your little ones, let us know what it is and Joanna will see what she can do to help. On to our next one, uh, Joanna. This is a little seven-year-old physically ill and having nightmares. This is incredible. My seven-year-old is going through a, t- a very tough time at night time. He has been suffering from nightmares, terrors, which keep him awake, have completely changed his sleeping routine and have him doubled over in pain. It seems to affect his stomach to the point where he gets cramps and feels like vomiting. It came on after he'd watched the first of the Harry Potter movies. Mm as some of his friends really liked it. But we watched it over Christmas and it scared him to the bones. On top of this, his younger sister, she's just gone five, decided she wanted her own room. They were sleeping in bunk beds in the same room until just after Christmas. Also, tragically, the mother of one of his friends, when he was younger, recently passed away. He, hasn't seen, he hadn't seen his friend in about a year and a half, but we did visit her mother's grave. He's a very sensitive soul and very thoughtful and I'm worried, is he overthinking all these situations from the funeral to the movie? I know this. there's a lot to this, but I need uh, help to try and ease things and help my son sleep normally again and more importantly, put a smile back on his face and he helped me appreciate it. Oh, so, my goodness, the poor little thing. And the, the, you know, that kind of, you know, the doubling over in pain, the cramps, the vomiting, that's a very physical response and it does sound like he's really anxious. But if that, you know, if stomach cramps and vomiting and pain, if that's happening during the day, not just at night, I'm assuming and if not, I'm going to just say, yeah. make sure that you get him checked out, that there isn't something going on for him physically. Let's always rule that out. And, you know, the reference here to he's suffering from nightmares slash terrors. These are different things, you know, and it's sounding nightmarish 
to me mm. um, just based on this piece of information there might be more detail and it, you know a nightmare is where you know you're, you're asleep and you have a dream you know somewhere after the middle part of your sleep usually and the dreamer can wake and even you know sometimes very often indeed remember at least parts of the dream you know yourself if you have a bad dream but in night terror the person is unaware it's happening both in the moment and even when they wake up it tends to happen in the first you know kind of the first third to a half of your sleep and it's to do with those a glitch moving from one sleep cycle to another so it is quite different it can be screaming physically thrashing even sleepwalking can come with it both of these can be triggered by stress Now, there are also situations with night terrors where we just don't know what happens. You know, we don't know what causes them. So stress can be a part of it and can certainly make them worse. And he does sound like he has stress triggers going on. So that's why I just wanted to kind of cover that piece. You know, watching the movie, okay, you know, he didn't like it. He's especially a sensitive child. He's probably picking up on little and there's there's darkness in those movies and those books. And, you know. And and I don't say that because that's a bad thing, by the way. You know, there's darkness and light in all aspects of life and in children's play as well. I mean, children play with darkness. Anyone who ever watches a child play it exploding and blowing up and, you know, and everything dies and comes back to life. You can see they play with those themes. But sensitive children, it can really hit them at a deeper level. And it sounds like that's what and of course, he has all the visuals of, you know, ghosts and other things. I can't even remember what's in the first Harry Potter movie. I might be thinking some of the later ones. There's Death Eaters and different things like that in it. Um, So all of this between the sister deciding she was ready to move. I mean, good for her, but not great timing for him. Um, And then the visiting the grave of his friend's mom and a friend he hadn't seen for a while. What I'm wondering is, did you sit and discuss all of that with him. Like, have you had a conversation with him about death, about burial, about what happens when you die? Because otherwise he may be sitting with a lot of unknown and wondering mm. and confusion. And you do, and even if he's like, yeah, yeah, we talked about it before we went, you're going to need to talk about it again. And more than once, because that's how children kind of make meaning of it. And it's the same with the movie and the themes in there. You can sit and say it's just a movie. It's not real. It's make believe. But you have to sit and allow him the space to talk about what he's afraid of. I'm just wondering, is that a lot for a seven, little seven year old mind as well? Because on the one hand, he's seen Harry Potter, which is, mm-hmm. you know, imaginative and, and full of a surreal world. But then he's getting this actual real world beside it of his friend's mother's death. And of course, that happens in Harry Potter, too, doesn't it? There's Harry's lot, parents are dead. His and, head, yeah. And he's mistreated by his yeah. carers until he goes to this school. Is that world coming into this world? So there, Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a crossover yeah. Isn't there about what's real and not real? And at that age anyway, you know, that line between fantasy and reality can be fairly blurred because of how prominent imagination Mm. is and imaginative play in particular. I do think you need to sit and talk with him, acknowledge his fear and say, look, we showed you that movie because you're interested. And actually, you know, I think it was a mistake to watch it, you know, and you're letting us know you weren't ready and we won't be watching it again. But because you have seen it, let's talk about what you were afraid of in it. Let's talk about the good parts uh, because there are lots of good parts. There's a lot of, you know, hope in it. There's a lot of, you know, collaboration and friendship. And there's a lot of good teams in exactly and risk taking and, you know, children winning the day and overcoming challenge. And so to highlight a lot of that, you could also use the, um, you know, the director technique, which would work with both dreams and the movie idea, by the way, where you tell him like if, if the dream was a movie and he was the director, he could say cut. And what bit of the dream would he 
swap out the worst bit and how would that change the outcome and what would he put in instead as a new scene that would change the ending to how he wants okay. it to and he could apply that to the movie as well like if you were the one who, who was directing the Harry Potter movie what would you take out what would you put in give him some control over the things that he's worried about and thinking about but I also think invite him to really give it to you okay you give me the worry, the concern, I'll hold it for you. I also think you have to establish a new bedtime routine with and for him because on top of all this, his sister has moved out and he's in his own space for the first time. So going back to basics about what's going to help him wind down and co-regulate with you and maybe he needs to have, like the earlier child, you know, a little stuffy mm. that wears a T-shirt of a parent or his sister sure. so he can still feel like there's something else in the room or someone else in the room with him. Uh, maybe a nightlight. Always be aware of nightlights, though. They can cast shadows. And for some children, that's oh, not helpful. Not you know? helpful at all. You know, because no. I've had that as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think just just be aware of all of that. But really what you're trying to do is lower the anxiety. I think getting him to take control of the thing that he's afraid of by mastering it through being the director of the movie, the director of the dream, drawing out the new pit, bit that he'd like to put in, talking about that in detail, sticking it to his bed bedroom wall so it's a visual reminder knowing he can come to you with those scary things and you'll help him to make meaning of it if that was to linger you know I don't know how long this is going on um, you know oh, over Christmas he watched the movie so it's going on you know already we're into the end of February if you were kind of at this and nothing was changing in the next six weeks lots of sensory play lots of talking art drawing it out talking about it if nothing changes then he may need to go to someone who can help him work out a little fear that he's stuck with Okay um, I remember our little when she was two um, the Gruffalo it was just these two yeah. words don't like Gruffalo and that was it put it away and she's yeah. remained as sensitive to that kind of stuff ever since um, Lots of kids don't love kids the Gruffalo no. you know because and or, again it's because there are scary themes in it Yeah so um, and in many of them Give you this one um, I think we've time for one more My 11 year old daughter has told me she thinks she is bisexual While I'm happy to support her I'm not sure how much she understands or if she really knows what that means I asked her, did she like a girl at school? And she said, no. I know there are a lot of young female celebrities and singers that she looks up to, but I wonder if it's just that she strongly admires them rather than fancying them. I don't really know how to talk to her about this. So what should I say? I don't, uh, I also don't know if I should encourage her to make such a decision about her identity at this age. You know, I think sometimes as parents when we're like, I don't, I, I don't know what to say, you know, how will I approach this? We're kind of assuming we need to have a level of expertise and we're going to be coming at this with some kind of an announcement or a statement. And even this, you know, I don't know if I should encourage her to make such a decision. She's not looking for encouragement and she doesn't need encouragement one way or the other, to be honest honest, really it's about acceptance and she's 11 years old. She's in that preteen stage where she's beginning to get curious about other aspects of her identity, experience with independence or experiment with independence, autonomy, you know, establishing. And this is going to amplify when they get into early adolescence, but establishing, you know, I'm nothing like you. I'm my own person. I have my own mm. interests, styles, tastes, yeah. desires. That process of estrangement is a developmental task in adolescence. And she's just maybe hitting it a little bit earlier but to be honest with you you know puberty and pre-adolescence does start for some kids quite early when you say you know you're not sure she understands what she means by bisexual why don't you approach this with what I'm going to call the inquisitive stance you know adopt a position of curiosity that you are seeking to better understand this from her perspective
perspective and that is with acceptance and not judgment. You're going to ask and wonder with her, you know, what does this mean to you? And be curious about when did she realise this? When did she realise it to be something that she was thinking about? And again, that's not with judgment or approval or saying one way or another, oh, you're right or you're wrong, but simply sticking with her truth in that moment and hold a space for questioning and exploration and curiosity. It's children are allowed and it's healthy for them to be curious, to be playful and to explore their own sexual and gender health and identity throughout their adolescence. So it's okay for her to say, you know, this is where I'm at right now. And the message you give her is that she is allowed to explore her sexuality and that you accept her, you know, something like, thank you for telling me you can talk to us about anything. We love you just as you are always. So she gets that constant message of acceptance. Great. Joanna, a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.